You're listening to My Radio, a podcast series for the Museum Roundtable Singapore. I am Ivy, the Secretariat for the Museum Roundtable, and I'm your host for today. Hello everyone, welcome to the fourth episode of My Radio, a podcast series for the Museum Roundtable Singapore. So our guest for today actually shows how small a world this is because she used to be my trainer when I was a teacher in the Ministry of Education. And um, so as our career paths come full circle, I'm actually interviewing her today on her training of museum educators. And this amazing trainer is none other than Miss Nicola Chu a lecturer at the National Institute of Education. Welcome to the show, Nicola. Hello. Thanks, Ivy, for having Hello. me. <laughs> Were so you, I was your trainer. Yeah, you are my trainer. <laughs> we, we, we talked about this when we first met earlier this year, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> we feel very old. <laughs> no, actually, we're around the same age. You, you just <laughs> blossomed much earlier than me. <laughs> So, okay, anyway, to start things off, um, the thing about museum education, which is uh, our topic for today, right, is that from an observer's point of view, it's, uh, it actually looks very simple from you just bring a kid or a, a group of students in front of a painting and then uh, perhaps some people might think that you read off a script and just uh, explain about the artwork. So that's about it. Right, and uh, I'm sure it's really not that simple because we'll be all out of a job. <laughs> so to start off, um, I thought to to uh, start things off with a fun way. I've invited Nicola to share some statements or misconceptions about her work at National Gallery and the National Institute of Education. And uh, are you ready, Nicola? I teach drawing, uh, children artistic development and uh, pedagogy at NIE? Uh, I think, yes, this is a fact, right? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I thought I, it was tricky because it was so different. I developed the museum education programs at NGS, National Gallery Singapore. You developed the museum education program. Yes, you develop and you design and uh, you also work very closely with the National Gallery and MOE on the design as well. So I would say that's a truth and I've supplemented it with uh, more truths maybe. Am I okay, right? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so some clarification. Uh, yeah, so I don't design the uh, education programs at NGS that's done by the education team uh, at the National Gallery Singapore. Uh, I, I, I come in mainly as a consultant, so uh, kind of uh, working with them to talk about some of the directions from Ministry of Education and what we are doing uh, in the National Institute of Education so that we can have some kind of alignment. Uh, apart from that, I also uh, am part of a team of education facilitators, so I also kind of do education facilitation work on the ground with students, teachers, school leaders, um, and um, yeah, and I also train the museum facilitators as well, the education facilitators, uh, specifically the group of facilitators who are run the primary four museum-based learning uh, program in National Gallery. Okay, so I stand corrected. <laughs> Thank you. And the last one? The last one. My youngest student is three years old and my oldest student is 
78. I guess this is a fact because I, uh, I, I guess your three-year-old may be, I don't know, someone at home. <laughs> <laughs> maybe a preschool kid or, or I don't know, maybe your own kid. Uh, and then the 70-year-old might be a, a museum facilitator at the gallery. Am I right? <laughs> yes. Okay. So except the three-year-old is not my own kid. <laughs> but I also, because I, I also do tours, I mean, we, we facilitate tours for really young children at the National Gallery as well. Yeah, so um, so museum-based learning is not just for, say, primary school or secondary school-going children. Uh, we start them uh, as early as preschool so that, you know, children in, in the kindergarten, uh, you know, come to the gallery and, you know, uh, they learn to engage with artworks, uh, to be in the museum setting at a very early age. Uh, also helps them to feel comfortable with the space. Uh, and that's something that we're trying to, you know, develop right from the start as well. I guess museum-based learning is not something uh, that's foreign to us right now in the museum sector. So uh, from your experience and of course your work with the Gallery and Ministry of Education and National Institute of Education, can you maybe shed some light about how museum-based education came about and uh, why was it important for, for our education landscape at this point? Sure. So I think... Actually, I think museum education has been around for a very long time. I mean, I remember even when I was back in primary school, you know, we had like field trips to the museums and all that, right? But I think how the, you know, how learning has happened in a museum has changed. Uh, and that also comes because the approach to education and learning in general and teaching as well uh, has changed also. So the museum really is a place, I mean, we, we talk about, you know, how, when, what children learn in school needs to extend beyond the confines of the classroom. You know, I think what we have found in the past is that uh, learning happens in silo in the classroom. And, you know, when, when it's almost like when children learn certain concepts in school, in the classroom, as they leave the school, you know, they, they aren't able to apply those concepts or they're unable to talk about those concepts except maybe answer them in an exam script, you know, but they're unable to really engage uh, with this knowledge or this understanding in a meaningful way. So I think really that that is the main um, driving force of, you know, why we felt that museum-based museum learning is important because, you know, learning needs to then extend beyond the confines of the classroom needs to be applied in a real world context for students to be able to feel that whatever they are learning in school is meaningful, is relevant. So how it has changed is that, so in the past, I remember, you know, when we, when we went for museum tours, right, we would just be, you know, brought around the space and there would be a, a docent or facilitator kind of telling us about the, the, the works or the artifacts. Um, now it's quite different. Um, now we what we're not so much looking at the museum as a space uh, to download more information and knowledge onto the students, but rather as a space for them to apply what they have learned in school, but in a totally different setting. In our interactions with students now, it's no longer you know just telling them about you know what the work is about or what the artifact is about, uh, but really trying to draw you know. Um, uh, helping them, I think, to uh, make their own, uh, to construct their own understanding, to make their own meaning out of whatever it is that they are viewing. So it's really now looking at the child or understanding children, not just as 
empty vessels, you know, like, oh, my job then as a facilitator is just to give you knowledge, but really seeing them as uh, what we call co-constructors of knowledge or active agents in their own learning. So children at these days really, you know, they, they have, because they're so exposed, I guess, uh, so they have a lot of ideas and opinions about the things around them, you know, um, and especially for younger children, sometimes the difficulty for them is in being able to verbalize it or just having the words to articulate what they're thinking and all that. So a lot of the work that we do involves drawing this out of children, uh, whether in younger children or older children, but helping them to, to articulate some of their thoughts, their ideas, their personal responses to whatever object or artwork they are, they are looking at. From our own experiences, having been in the classroom and learning in the classroom, then this becomes extremely challenging, I would say, for the museum educator being in the space itself because when we are uh, teaching and downloading of information, testing becomes very easy and assessment becomes very easy. There's a right or wrong answer. And uh, the challenge for an educator in the museum space is uh, what is right or, or wrong, right? Because who, who are we to tell that uh, it's not right for you to, to, to have this opinion, <laughs> about an artwork that you're looking at. And uh, I, I guess we can go, we can delve into the, the details about whether art is subjective or not, uh, but that's another podcast altogether. So I think my main question here is uh, on assessment during museum-based learning programs and museum education. Uh, what, what do you think are some of the challenges or uh, as a, a consultant yourself, um, how, how do you go into the museum to talk to museum educators about assessment for learning in museum-based education. Okay, that's a, a good uh, point. Uh, that's an interesting observation too. The assessment that we do though is more of the facilitators than students. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, okay, so in terms of students, uh, how do we assess students' learning? Um, so I guess assess the, the museum itself is an informal education setting. So assessment is also done in a very informal way as well. Um, and the priority is really in uh, like what I mentioned earlier, you know, trying to help students construct their own understanding and to make meaning, you know, from the, the artwork using their own personal experiences, using, you know, and drawing on their own prior knowledge. Um, and that's, you know, that's what we, we aim to do. So as um, I guess if the student is able to, uh, you know, respond to an artwork and to be able to um, engage in a conversation and a discussion about the artwork. I think for for us, that's usually uh, one key thing. Uh, one key thing that we look for, um, because sometimes if the if, there's, if the con if the conversation is very one way, where, whether it's you know, and usually it's the facilitator doing the talking, then it's. And the students are just giving, you know, those very close-ended kind of answers or uh, very short kind of answers without elaborating or explaining, you know, um, like perhaps uh, how they are making certain interpretations. Then we know, I mean, that then might be an indication that the student may not um, be fully engaged with the work and that, um, that the thinking process may be at a very superficial level. Uh, so, but when a child is able to say, uh, you know, look at say an, an artwork, a painting with characters in it, and be able to empathize with some of the characters, or to be able to imagine themselves being in the 
painting, you know, and, and what the environment in the painting, if, if it's a landscape, for example, you know, then what being in that place may feel like, you know, would it be noisy, you know, would it be cold, uh, what sounds would you hear, you know, and, and they're able to uh, kind of use that imagination that way and fully uh, enter so-called into the painting, you know, whether it's through their imagination or uh, even just intellectually just kind of, you know, thinking about what the artist might be thinking about when he decided to paint, you know, the figures this way or if he decided to use the colours this way. Yeah, so if they can go into that mode, um, you know, go into being able to empathise, what I mentioned, or even being able to take different perspectives, you know, being able to make multiple interpretations. Yeah, so I think these are some of the indicators that we use uh, to uh, assess students' learning. Sometimes we do face, you know, uh, students who feel, who still feel, or who are looking at you and trying to second guess, you know, what's the answer that you want and all that. Yeah, so so I think that's also the challenge that we have. Um, and, uh, and so I think one of the things that we do then is we try to get them to uh, use their imagination. So, so we move away from uh, that kind of information that is uh, very evident in the painting. We get them to think about, okay, you know, uh, maybe we look at this, if it's a painting of a scene and, and something is happening, you know, what, what do you think is going to happen after this? You know, so, so we, we engage in a little bit more of that. Um, as a way to help them to also have fun with the artwork. I think that uh, that whole experience of just being able to have fun with looking at artworks and just enjoying the experience, I think that's also a very important part of, you know, the, the whole uh, museum learning experience. Um, and also fun also in itself is a very important factor in learning, right? Because if the mm. children can... I mean, they enjoy, you know, just the whole experience of learning to look at artworks, of just being in the space, even though they may not know everything about the artist, even though they may know very little about the artwork. But because of that very positive experience that they have had, you know, then they would then feel motivated to come back in their own time to relook at the artworks, you know, or to even go on, go back home, go on Google and then Google the artwork, you know. So I think these are the other things that we look for as well. When we try to assess uh, students learning in the museums. Mm, thank you. And I, I, I think I fully agree. And um, to add on to that, right, listening to you, I thought that um, the environment that you have just explained or described is actually very fertile ground for uh, when I was a teacher. We call this the teachable moments, right? Whereby a, a, a facilitator or any educator gets into uh, or engages in dialogue with a student and um, find these points for learning for a student uh, that arises not because of a planned curriculum, but uh, arose because of real life context, which is which was what you mentioned. And uh, you you cannot get that when you have a, a too structured uh, um, uh, a framework. Right, and um, it's only through dialogues and um, discovery of self and having this conversation whereby uh, we we fully realize uh, uh, what our critical uh, assessment of ourselves or our thoughts and opinions are like. Yeah, so uh, so just to go back on your point about uh, your work. Mm assessment of facilitators so how did you first uh, approach the assessment or um, design for for training for facilitators that will be embarking on this um, I would say quite challenging uh, role yeah because it's it's about 
having that ability to think on the spot and being able to facilitate student conversation. So what, what were your thoughts from the very outset? Okay, so I think uh, when we were... When we talk about assessment of uh, education facilitators, we first think about what are some of the outcomes that we want uh, from students uh, when whenever they visit the museum or the gallery. You know, what what are some things that we want uh, them to be able to take away? Uh, so I think one of it uh, definitely that came up was you know, we, students should be able to make their thinking visible through articulating their thoughts, their ideas, or their responses. Uh, you know to an artwork. So when they look at artwork, they shouldn't just be able to uh, talk about it, like, you know, describe what they see, but they should be able to explain, you know, perhaps what what makes them say that or what makes them think that particular way. Was there a previous experience uh, that helps them to interpret, you know, something in a particular way or was it something that they learned in school, you know, or was it something that their friends said? So it's, it's really helping students to make their thinking visible. Uh, so I think that was one of the key things. Uh, and of course, the engagement as well, like what I mentioned, the importance of having just a positive learning experience, you know, and just having fun at the gallery and, and being interested and curious. So I think these were some of the outcomes that we wanted uh, from the students. So then from there, we worked backwards. So then we, we looked at, okay, so what would then facilitators need to do uh, or the mindset actually facilitators also need to have, right, in order to help um, develop some of these uh, attributes in students or help to nurture some of these uh, things that we wanted to see in students. Uh, so one of which is uh, definitely being able to ask questions. I think one of the difficult or uh, the, the key transitions that we've had to make, um, and this is not just for education facilitation, but teaching in general, you know, it's, it's uh, the teacher or the adult moving from a place of uh, telling to asking questions. Um, and so even if knowledge or certain information were to be given or needs to be given, uh, it needs to be framed and scaffolded through questioning and responding. Yeah. So even if it's contextual information about the artwork, like, you know, like, when do you think this artwork was made? You know, uh, what was the event that this artwork, you know, was was made in response to? And this could be something that was happening. It, it could be a historical event, like something that happened in the 1960s, for example. Um, but instead of telling them that, you know, uh, facilitators would then need to ask questions, um, look at perhaps point them to look at certain clues and artwork, um, you know, and, and then of course when they, they make certain kind of guesses uh, and then continue to ask questions to probe, um, to help them see, you know, that they are actually able to uh, make use of all these clues and they're able to draw on certain knowledge that they have to actually interpret the artwork in a meaningful uh, and informed way. Yeah, so, so I think that's, that's one of the challenges. And that's one of, one of the things that we look for as well. Um, I think the other thing as also is um, being able... I, 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 okay, so I'm going to talk about mindsets. Um, because also in part of the training, I think what I have uh, observed is that Sometimes facilitators know of these strategies, right? So they have a, you know, they know that they, ha they have to ask questions um, and, and they know how to engage students with all their senses and their imagination and all that. But when it comes to the crux of actually delivering a tour, they go back into the teacher mode, in inverted commas, 
uh, or, the, or the traditional teacher mode and then it's it's very telling again and you know it's very um didactic and very you know um directive also you know like okay so the artist is this or when they ask a question and then the students might respond and say something and they were like um you know like uh they might say i, I think okay so I, one of the things that i picked up was so they might ask an open-ended question um but then when the student gives an answer you know they might respond oh that's that's a good answer which implies that there is a not good answer or there's a bad answer so if it's open right then it, it's it's an answer. I mean, it's, it's, that's an interesting answer. That's an interesting way of, you know, looking at the work. You know, that's an unusual way. Or tell me a little bit more. Yeah, so, so some of these things creep in, right? Uh, so so we've, what I've come to then include in my training as well um, is also just the facilitator being aware of their own conceptions of children. Yeah, so whether or not we see them as um like what I mentioned earlier, co-constructors uh, or, you know, active agents in their own learning, or do we see them again as empty vessels, you know? So no, you don't know anything, listen to me, you know, I have all the right answers. Yeah, so 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 I think there's something that uh, we look at as well. Yeah, whether or not, uh, so of course we, we need to then equip them with the right mindsets. Um, and then after that to see whether or not it's translated uh, into the kind of, um, you know, uh, interactions uh, with the students. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you, you mentioned this interesting uh, uh, concept about mindsets because mindsets is not just in facilitation, it's in everything we do, right? In our jobs, in our daily interactions, with even our, our own personal relationships. So I'm also curious as to how, how do you actually teach this correct, I would never say correct mindset, but, mindset. but um, um, how, how do you approach um, then developing this mindset in your facilitators uh, and and if if um, I were to uh, want to be a museum facilitator and I, I don't have your expertise how do I tell myself um, or, or condition myself to develop this mindset or um, yeah how, how do I actively audit or edit myself I, I think that's the key question I think one thing that helps with the development of the right mindset is also in uh, building understanding. So sometimes I think, you know, when adults have misconceptions about children, it's also partly because we don't really understand children uh, or we are always understanding them in inverted commas, uh, understanding them through the adult lens, right? Uh, to give you a simple example. So part of the work that I do at NIE is to uh, teach teachers about children's stages of development. So we look uh, in, in particular in art, okay, so that develop the artistic stages of development. So we look at how children right from the age of two years old engage, say, in art making uh, in the form of scribbles and, and just mark making. And I think, and so we, we study them, of course, all the way from two years old, so two years old, all the way to 14 years old. So this is when the development uh, happens and there are six stages that children go through. Um, so if you look at scribbles of children, for example, I mean, when we look at it, it really looks like nothing, like just rubbish, right? And some parents were like, how oh, was this? You know, and then throw it away. Uh, but what we are slowly understanding from research uh, and also as we study the children's scribbles is that there's actually a lot of thinking that is going on in the scribble making. Um, you know, they are slowly understanding movement. They're slowly understanding uh, relationships. They're understanding cause and effect. 
you know, their understanding um, how to tell stories through the marks that they make, um, which are, you know, it, in itself is a very abstract concept, right? Being able to look at a mess of scribbles, but being able to look at them and say, oh, you know, this is mommy or this is daddy or this is, a, you know, me swimming in the pool. Yeah, so so we are also beginning to see that. And, and it's through this research, I think, that's helping us understand that, you know, that there's a lot that's going on in children's minds. Um, it's just that a lot of times we are not privy to it. Or, of course, we don't have the language of a child to understand them and neither do they have the language of an adult to communicate that to us as well. Yeah, so, so I think uh, understanding children's stages of development and just, you know, learning about how, you know, all these babbles and all these scribbles actually hold a lot of significance and hold a lot of thinking uh, and, you know, and actually quite complex thought processes uh, does help them to slowly... Uh, I think help people. I help educators. I think have a better awareness of uh, children like, as thinking beings, you know, uh, rather than just uh, adults that you know are not developed yet or yeah underdeveloped adults. Yeah, but to be able to to see children for who they are and to be able to uh, also appreciate you know their their thinking based on their own experiences. So that's the first. Um, so building on that uh, awareness and understanding, I think helps. The other thing also I think is it comes with experience in the sense that the more you interact with children um, and the more we we practice, so at the start we practice, right? We practice asking questions. We we practice having conversations with children and, and these could be, you know, uh, preschool children all the way to teenagers. Um, the, the more we start to begin to see that yeah, actually, they do have a lot of interesting insights and they have a lot of interesting uh, kind of answers to, to some of or interpretations to some of these works. Uh, and to give you an example, so uh, there's this painting by Liu Kang called Life by the River, you know, in the National Gallery. And it's one of the key works in our museum-based uh, learning syllabus, the P4 MBL. So I, I remember taking a group of P4s there. And so we were looking at the painting and... And they were making observations about, you know, the colors, making it very vibrant and uh, talking about a very vibrant community life, the Kampong Day. So, so students were looking at all these and making all the interpretations. When one child noticed that right at the corner on the right side of the painting, there is a yellow tree. So there, there are other trees in the painting and they're all green, except this one that is yellow. So then he asked me, oh, what, why is the tree yellow in color? I think that's a good observation. I said, what do you think? I mean, what would you think Liu Kang painted that tree, that tree yellow? Because, you know, I mean, the rest of the trees are green, right? He's like, yeah. Then I said, okay, so, so when would the tree be yellow in color? You know, and then his friend said, oh, when there's a change in seasons, you know, maybe it's like changing from like summer to autumn, right? So I said, oh, what makes you say that? Oh, I went to Japan, you know, and I remember that when we went in autumn, the, the, the leaves were all changing color. So yeah, okay, that's interesting. So I said, yeah, that's, you know, I said, definitely when the seasons are changing, the trees might be changing in color. You know, I said, um, is there any other interpretation for when trees might change in color? So then the, stu the same student who noticed the yellow tree said, oh, maybe it's because this was like the last uh, kampong, you know, and, and then the people would have to like move to the HDB flats after this, you know, because they wanted to. So the, the students had already learned about how uh, the government was going to kind of re, I mean, kind of to clear the kampong land and then move the 
the residents to the HDB flats, right? So he says, oh yeah, so you know, I think, and then he said, no, I, I think it's like, it's like moving from one era to the next. It's like a change, <laughs> you know, in eras, you know, changing from like the, like you were moving from like the kampong days to like, you know, uh, the modern days. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, so it was such an interesting observation and interpretation. I thought, yes, and I thought I was so amazed actually because to be honest, right, you know, I've seen the painting so many times. I never really noticed the yellow tree. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So wow. that's another way of talking about transitions. Uh, yeah. It was so cute. And the funny thing was, when I went back and I shared this anecdote, this anecdote with my friend, right? And then he was, was telling me, like, oh, you know, the student was saying like, oh, it represents like a changing of time, a changing of area, we're transiting from the kampung days to this new modern urban city. And then he was like, wow, the key falls are, if it were me, I'd just say maybe Liu Kang ran out of green paint. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there, so are, like, there are multiple <laughs> entry points to, to, absolutely. to the of her work. <laughs> now we, we know absolutely. the full spectrum <laughs> from a three-year-old to a 78-year-old. I don't know how old your friend is, but... <laughs> This really yeah, so, oh. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I think children really do have, you know, a lot of a lot of things to offer. Like, I think it's it's really our responsibility to help them to articulate them and also to give them the confidence too as well. Mm-hmm. You're right. Mm-hmm. And um I, I, I think just to go back to uh our, our conversation about museum based learning, right? I think before the start of this recording, I did ask you about uh <laughs> how uh, our digital transformation has uh, impacted mm. your work, in, uh, especially in the training of uh, your museum facilitators, right? I understand that your facilitators are conducting Zoom training. Um, so maybe just from your observations, uh, how, how do you think museum-based learning um, has evolved? And um, I think from the very outset, the museum-based learning was designed to bring students into the museums. Uh, and it's definitely very different from uh, looking at a painting up close and in person as opposed to uh, looking at a painting just from a Zoom call, right? So um, I, mm. I, I just like to have your opinions on this and, um, and any thoughts? Yes, it's been so difficult. <laughs> uh, we've had to do a lot of the tours via Zoom. So that would mean that the facilitators would be in their own homes, um, you know, on Zoom. And then the students, initially the students might be at home, but now because they have gone back to school, so the facilitators are still facilitating from home. And then the students might then be viewing, you know, um, the yeah, going through the session in their classroom on the projected screen. So yeah, there are definitely a lot of challenges. Um, first of course is that the experience via Zoom is never the same as the physical experience of you know actually being in the museum, uh, and it's been also challenging, especially if you think about three-dimensional work like sculpture. You know, um, I mean, an, an image is, is flat, right? But sculpture is three-dimensional and the students would not be able to have the opportunity to walk around the work, you know, to look at it from different angles uh, or to even look up close at the material or the textures. So these are some challenges that we've had. Um, with that said, uh, I think, so we, we try as much as we can still to, 
um, we, so, I mean, we use a lot of the, the paintings, the digital kind of pictures of the artworks, and we use them in our tours. Uh, and perhaps I think that there's still value in the sense that um, through just engaging students through a discussion about the artworks and, you know, then perhaps also giving them an, a sense of, uh, you can think of it as a prelude, like, I guess, you know, giving them an idea of these are some of the paintings that are in the National Gallery and that you can expect to see, you know, and hopefully after this, you know, when, uh, when they are able to then go to the museum, they would feel excited, you know, and, and interested to do so, to look at these artworks in person. Um, but yeah, otherwise, it has been challenging uh, to do it via Zoom on, on a digital platform, on a virtual platform. Uh, and also in terms of just, uh, the other challenge also comes from the interaction because it's a lot less spontaneous. Uh, when, I mean, we we on, on our screen, right? We're looking at a class of 40. So you're looking at students in a classroom uh, and all sharing, you know, the teacher's desktop or laptop. And we can only see their faces, you know, we can even hardly see their faces. So it's very hard to, uh, to, to look at their expressions or to even uh, hear them, you know. So sometimes the responses may be very dynamic um, or rather or a few students are talking at the same time. But because of that, the limitation of Zoom, right, it becomes very hard for the conversation to move in a very organic way. Uh, so that's also another challenging thing. Uh, yeah, so, but now what we are transiting to the next phase is that facilitators would be at the National Gallery itself uh, with the equipment and then but students will still be in a classroom via Zoom. Uh, so, of course, the challenges of just being able to look at students and respond to them in a, in a very dynamic way is still difficult. Uh, but hopefully for the students' side, just by us being in a physical space in the museum, moving around, um, hopefully can help psychologically engage them better. Lah. Like to know that, oh, there's, these people are actually there in the museum and this is what's happening right there now. You know, uh, yeah. So we're hoping that that might help increase engagement as well, uh, making it a little bit more real for them. Mm. Um, yeah, but on, on the facilities side, then also, you know, really very quickly needing to learn about how to use the equipment. So we are now no longer just facilitators. We are like, I don't know, video production people. <laughs> so we have like a cameraman. <laughs> yeah. So we have a gimbal. And then like, you know, we have to like show the artwork, show the presenter. And then like, yeah, and then move around the space. And then we have to like toggle, you know, curate to see, oh, you know, which, uh, which uh, screen we should share, if we should share the the camera holding uh, that is pointing at the presenter, we should share the camera that's pointing at the artwork, you know. So there's a whole lot of that going on now that's, uh, yeah, quite complex. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is a learning curve, not just for museum education, but the whole museum landscape as a, not, not just museum, I think any, <laughs> any cultural uh, uh, or arts, institutions right i think the the dancers are feeling it the theater uh, yeah. um, production houses are feeling it as well like what what difference does it make if you look at a painting in a digital format or a, a theater production or a dance in a digital format mm -hmm. as opposed to physically being there right and um, i'm not sure if the students did miss going to the museum perhaps <laughs> absence makes the heart grow founder right <laughs> 
Make yeah, horrible fonder, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe they would yes, see yes, that, yes. that, oh, okay, so uh, this is a space that I can go to, you know, after the pandemic blows over. So, so maybe this might be a good teaser for them. Yeah, yeah so that's what we're hoping. I think yeah. teaser is the right word. Hopefully, touch wood. All right. Maybe in the next few months. 10 years. The National Gallery. <laughs> no. <laughs> that would be a disaster. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. Yeah. But maybe 10 days later, <laughs> they might be able to go. <laughs> I don't know. Nobody knows. Yes. Yeah. 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 We're definitely hoping for it to resume. I mean, to be able to do face-to-face tours again. Yeah, for sure. Mm. There's mm. nothing quite like being able to look at the work up close. You know, we, we teach textures, you know, we, we talk about brush strokes and, and marks. And when you look at it on a paint, uh, as a digital image, you know, you, you really don't get a sense of that. And also sometimes for some of the larger works as well, I mean, you know, like, for example, Radin Saleh's Forest Fire, that's like so big, you know, um, and, to, and to look at it as a small image, again, you know, this has a totally different effect. Yeah. And um, I, I remember speaking to a National Gallery about how they got the painting into the, <laughs> into the gallery. I think the magnitude of um, the, and the scale of the work actually draws questions as well. Um, that was the yes. first question I asked the exhibition team. <laughs> how did you get something? Yes, how yes. did you get the frame <laughs> in? <laughs> <laughs> right? You have to saw the yeah, so, half. Yeah, but we should, not tell, we should not tell the audience so oh, that okay. you know. So, so they can come. And they will be, they will the be motivated yeah, to happen. go to the National Gallery, attend the tour and then find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, I think yes. our last question is uh, on, on that note about digitalization, right? Um, I just thought uh, I'll end off with uh, this last question. In an increasingly digitized world, um, what are some of your observations about digital modes of museum-based learning, not just in the gallery, but uh, I'm pretty sure we have seen quite a lot out there right now. Um, and do you think this will impact the way students learn? I understand that you have been an educator for uh, a really long time. So um, do, do you think that there, there is a silver lining or there are opportunities out there, untapped opportunities out there? And, and what are you most excited about in, in terms of this? Um, actually, a part of me believes that um, there is something very exciting. It's just that we haven't discovered it yet. <laughs> because, I think, because I think when it comes to technology, right, I mean, there's really a lot that you can do with technology. Um, yeah, and, and I, I, I feel that we, either perhaps we are not familiar enough with the technology or, you know, we've just never really given it much thought Um yeah, but I do feel that there is potential. Uh, definitely my limited knowledge in technology is, is not helping. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I guess if you think of like Star Wars, right? And the hologram, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, well, I know that's, if that's possible, maybe it'd be really cool, Yeah, you know? Uh, so, so I do think that there are possibilities, there are opportunities, you know, things that are not yet explored and not yet been discovered. There's hope, uh, there's hope. Um, the other thing I'm also conscious about is just how, uh, I mean, our students really are digital natives and they operate in a very different way you know, from us. Um, to some extent that I feel I, because I didn't grow up in the kind of digital world that they grew up in, you know, I mean, they're just so constantly plugged in, right, into TikTok, you know, Instagram, and, and you know, they're learning stuff through YouTube. I mean, I look at my nieces and nephews, you know, they're learning everything on YouTube, you know, they're themselves being some kind of mini influencers. And I think that Instagram followers more than mine, you know, like so much more than mine. So 
um, so in a sense, I, I do think also that uh, this, I guess that a blend is, is good. Yeah, so it's not, not just all physical or all digital, but a mix, I think, is, is helpful. Um, one of the opportunities or one of the things definitely that uh, technology does provide is access, uh, I think, to students, especially when we talk about museums, not uh, in places that they cannot access. So, for example, say uh, museums or galleries that are located overseas, you know, and, and they have no means of traveling to those spaces or even just if it's a, a matter of time, that I don't have time to go, um, then at least, you know, there is this platform that provides a little bit of the opportunity for them so that if they're not completely closed to it, you know, they, they have no access at all. Um, and to be able to interact. So, I mean, even with, even though the facilitator may be at home and not at the museum or, um, you know, there, there is still this interaction with somebody who's outside of the school environment, who's outside of the school context. And hopefully uh, that also helps them to see how uh, learning does transcend the boundaries of a classroom and a school setting. Um, hmm. Yeah, so, so I think that that does, that there is potential for sure. Uh, but with that said, going completely digital, I feel also um, it, it's not, um, neither is it, uh, how do you say it? Ne neither is it the way to go, like to go completely digital because at the end of the day, I think children are very tactile uh, creatures, you know, very sensory creatures, especially the younger children. So we're talking about the preschool all the way to middle primary. Uh, remember that at this point in time when they're developing their language skills, are not yet developed. So even just engaging in a kind of verbal discussion, you know, it's, it's not sufficient. Um, children at a young age really need to use, or rather they learn through using all of their senses. So their sense of touch, you know, their sense of smell, um, you know, their sense of their kinesthetic sense. So even in looking at a sculpture and being able to, you know, um, move around the sculpture or to pose, you know, as the sculpture, all of this helps them to gain a better understanding of the work. Um, so I think that the physical kind of interaction with the space is still important. Um, yeah, and, and also like I think just being in the museum itself as a physical space is also important. I mean, there's, it's different, you know, when you, when you watch a YouTube video of a place versus going to the place yourself, right? It's to two totally different experiences. Lah. So I think mm -hmm. that that part is also necessary. So I think they can complement each other, but they shouldn't be like mutually exclusive. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a, it's a blend between uh, having the technology to enable this self-directedness, right? Of, of having this world of resources uh, on, on, on the, uh, at the back of your hands and uh, being able to be in a space where you can have the, the hushed attentiveness and, and the quiet contemplation of your environment and, and being able to see the magnitude of, of Radin Saleh <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, 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 and be in wonderment, right? Yeah, yes, so, correct. So uh, we... <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. sorry. No, I was just saying, even if you were to... Even if entering the National Gallery, it has a... There's mm. a smell to it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like a woody kind of smell. Yes, yeah. and that's part of that whole experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It's it's sensorial in many ways. Uh, just even yes. stepping out of the house and um standing under a tree, for example, <laughs> gives you that. Yes. I think we all miss that sometimes. Yes. Okay. So let's keep our fingers crossed that uh we will have uh groups of students 
back at the National Gallery and uh, hopefully you will be among students very soon as well <laughs> at the National Gallery and yes. the facilitators. Okay, uh, with yes, that, yes. thank you very much, uh, Nicola from the National Institute of Education, uh, consultant for National Gallery Singapore for the Museum-Based Learning Program. So this is Ivy and uh, this is our fourth episode on Museum-Based Learning and we thank you for your time and we hope to have you on our next episode. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to My Radio, a podcast series for the Museum Roundtable Singapore. The podcast was recorded online via Zoom and produced by Singapore Repertory Theatre.